Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we help you discover innovative startups in the outdoor sport industry. Join us as we tell the story of brands who are paving the way for the future of outdoor sports. And here's your host, Josh Salvo. Hey, Ready Eddy Podcast listeners. Do you love skiing, snowboarding, climbing, hiking, camping, surfing, kayaking, or mountain biking? Did you know that there are thousands of new outdoor sports startups launching each year with incredible stories and products that are revolutionizing their sports? At Ready Yeti, we are a community of outdoor sport enthusiasts that love discovering new brands and supporting the ones that make innovative quality products and that have a drive to give back. At ReadyYeti.com, we give away products every two weeks from your soon-to-be favorite outdoor sports startups. Check out ReadyEddy.com and become a part of our daily growing outdoor sports community and become one of the first to discover tomorrow's outdoor sports brands. Hey guys, and welcome to the Ready Yeti Podcast, episode number one. Today, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Matt McGinnis, co-founder of Hemetic Trading Co. They make carry goods based in the USA, or made in the USA, I should say, based out of Burlington, Vermont. This company is really awesome. They're making some pretty incredible packs and quality products, which we think are really interesting and awesome. We've been using them for the you know, past couple of months now. And I'm really excited to be able to sit down with Matt and hear his story and how they got their start, where they see Hemetic going in the future, and uh, all the things they got in store for us. So uh, with that, we'll get right into it. How did the idea for your business come about, and how did you get started? So the idea for the business came about when uh, Jake and I were kind of like talking about how there's brands out there that have that classic American heritage look to them, um, especially in terms of like backpacks and outdoor gear. But the stuff that looks like it's being made in America is actually being made either overseas or in uh, like South America and areas like that. We kind of felt that was a little bit disingenuous. Um, so we started looking around to see what other like options there were for us. Just kind of a couple of younger guys who like skateboarding and skiing and snowboarding. We kind of wanted like a cool, like youthful style made in America product for a pretty reasonable price. Nothing like two hundred, three hundred dollars. Like we were kind of spending that much on a backpack. Um, and what's honest is there weren't really that many options, or really any options for what we were trying to to buy. And uh, they kind of worked together in the past on some clothing brands. Where we both kind of have moved on at that point. Um, I've been selling some duffel bags in my free time, and so we kind of started talking about how it would make sense for us to step up and step into that role and try to create a brand to fill that void and become the brand that was like a youth-style, um, made-in-America quality product that didn't really seem to exist at the time. Word. That's pretty cool. Did you guys know each other from school? Yeah, Jake's a couple of years younger than me, but uh, we'd both gone to Champlain College and met through a mutual friend. And when I was a senior, um, we collaborated on a project between our two brands at the time. We had a series of screen-printed T-shirts as well as embroidered hats. And uh, my business at the time was mostly selling T-shirts, and his was selling hats. So when we made that collaboration, we kind of were able to flip, and I was able to sell a bunch of hats. He was able to sell a bunch of T-shirts. And the whole experience went pretty well for us. So we, um, again, we got talking a few years later. We knew it would work out well between us. We'd worked together in the past. And we knew that the products we made together would also sell. So it kind of gave us some confidence going into the thing together. Cool. So what what inspired you guys to sort of get into apparel to begin with? You know, I think we both had kind of naturally gravitated towards it during our high school years. 
because both of our brands had started in high school, and we were both into, like, designing T-shirts and printing T-shirts and doing that whole thing. Um, and so we were kind of naturally inclined to, to take on a fashion perspective. And then, again, as we got older, we were just realizing that T-shirts were really hard to sell enough of to make a living and actually make valuable income for yourself. You kind of want to raise the bar, step up, and do something that not many people our age are doing. And again, going back to our conversation about the backpacks and all of that, it all kind of just worked well and lended itself towards um, this business, towards her phonetic. Cool. So what, what exactly is your background in terms of with your business? Like, did you study this in school? or? So both of our backgrounds are in graphic design. Um, we both have our degrees from Champlain College in graphic design, and as we work together, Jake takes on more of it in making products. We then send to the factory to have them produce, um, and then also a lot of the background business stuff is kind of on my end as well, so in terms of like running numbers and like coding the website and all like the little things. Uh, that kind of falls to me, but all of the the big the aesthetic of the brand is all all Jake's doing. Okay, so yeah, yeah, that that was gonna lead into my next question. It's sort of like, what are your roles, so to speak? Like, what do you handle as opposed to Jake? I mean, to put it like pretty concisely, I would say that I'm more of the, the right brain kind of guy. He's more of the left brain kind of guy. So he's a lot of like conceptualizing and like creating the aesthetic for the brand. Whereas I'm like, okay, great, you have this great idea for this product, and now let's put the logistics in place to turn it into something tangible kind of like take it from your sketchbook and make it a real thing that somebody can buy. So I'd say he's definitely the left brain. I'm definitely the right brain. Very cool. Very nice question. Um, how did you guys develop your product? What testing went into it? You know, tell us, um, you know, what, what kind of what types of iterations did you guys have, prototypes? Yep. Okay, so, um, again, when we started, I'd been selling duffel bags but my experience with selling backpacks was really, really limited. So basically, we started by looking at some bags we liked, sketching what we thought we were kind of aiming towards, and then through a lot of trial and error of just learning how to sell a backpack, uh, we cut went through at least a dozen iterations of the bag itself. And um, in terms of like prototyping and testing, some of the big things were pocket placement, sizing of stuff, um, the shoulder straps, especially. Um, one cool feature on our bags that came, came out as a result of that is the side pocket with a diagonal angle on it. And that's as a direct result of us just wearing the sample bags around, realizing if we took that zipper up, you could access it without taking the bag off your back. Whereas a flat zipper, just because the natural way your wrist swings, wasn't nearly as easy to open. So that's a cool example of how through product testing of our prototypes, we were able to correct that issue before it became something we started selling to the public or even took to the factory. Awesome. Cool. So next question, what is something unique that no one knows about you, one of your products, or your business, and how does this make you guys different? So this kind of plays off what I was just talking about, I guess. Um, the shoulder straps on our backpacks are pretty precise in terms of the tape that they have, in terms of the thickness from the top to the bottom, in terms of the thickness of the padding, and the spacing between um, where they kind of connect at the top. And that took us about probably 10 or 12 iterations on our end to dial that shape in exactly how we wanted it to be. And then once we put 
the bag into production of the factory, or into the sample phase, rather. Uh, that took us maybe another five or six tries with them, just to make sure that the straps were dialed in, because that's a big thing with carry goods, is, is how comfortable a loaded backpack is to carry. And right. we were really playing with the design to make it kind of like support on your shoulders and feel very comfortable without like cutting into your neck or your back or whatever. Um, so the shoulder straps, I know we definitely put a lot of time into to uh, to get just right. And That's awesome. then I guess to play into how that helps us out in terms of competition, I think that's just a, a good example of how our in-house sewing prototyping kind of method lets us develop our own products, which are very unique and that you can trust to be comfortable and functional because we've put them through the ring already before they even become sampled. So we're not just basically sending off a design to a factory and just send us back a bunch of product only to find out that, hey, the shoulder straps are too narrow to put into my shoulders. All right. That's pretty cool. Do you have a, a mentor? Uh, if so, how have they helped you with your no, I wouldn't say we necessarily have one particular mentor, but being in a college town, you get to know a lot of different people who have a lot of different expertise. So if there's ever a situation where we need, like, say, marketing help or photography or even, like, business or legal help, we know people that have either gone to school for that or are professors at colleges, and so we can reach out to those people with very specific uh, expertise. And whenever we find ourselves coming up against a problem, or even a lot of times before we even start something new in the business, we'll reach out to, to our network and, and get their thoughts on stuff. Um, so an example of that would be one of my buddies is a, a sales rep for a major there made in USA, I guess skincare company. And he's a sales rep for them, so before I started trying to go out to retail shops and reaching out to them, I was able to like contact him and kind of get his thoughts. How how does he approach certain situations? And kind of ask him what he thought I wouldn't necessarily know about that process right off the bat. Um, so we don't really have like one specific mentor, but again, just being in Burlington, there's a lot of people out there for school. We're able to kind of tap into a good network of people and get a lot of really good advice in all the areas that we've come across so far. Awesome. Uh, I know you've touched on this a bit with. That you guys are made in America. What, what is your commitment to sustainable manufacturing? Kind of like walk us through, you know, how your manufacturing process works. Gotcha. So a big reason why we make stuff in America is just because it just generally makes good sense in terms of the economy, the environment, knowing the quality of your product. Um, it just it just makes a lot of sense to manufacture here rather than kind of send it overseas where you're liable to run into human rights violations, delayed shipments, uh, environmental issues in terms of both the factories and the shipping process. Um, so it, it just doesn't seem to make a lot of good sense to, to outsource what we're trying to do. Um, so we're committed to making stuff in America where we can go visit the factory we see the 150-some-odd people that work there and have worked there for 30-plus years. You can see that your product, the better your sales are, the more you can support this factory, which is in a formal industrial town. So you're able to actually directly help a local economy somewhere that you can tangibly see. Um, whereas sending stuff overseas, I mean, I've heard of many instances where even the factory that is 
irrefutable, will outsource again to another factory, which ends up just being a complete like human rights violation. There's just a ton of errors that can happen there. Um, so we're really committed to just controlling the process of making a good quality product. And it really doesn't even end with the sale. It ends with following up with customers and making sure that they're not having problems with their value. If they are having a problem with that, we know how we can fix that for them. That's awesome. So is are, are all of your bags manufactured in, in Burlington? So none of the bags are manufactured in Burlington. They're mostly manufactured in upstate New York. Uh, we do manufacture some stuff in the shop. It's mostly the smaller items like embellishments on the apparel. We manufacture the utility wraps up there. Um, and we do a lot of prototyping, testing of ideas. Like, for instance, if you go to our shop now, we've got a bunch of wallets. We've got some goggle cases. Um, and a lot of other, like, small items that we kind of just test ideas with, get reactions from customers who walk in, and are able to say either this idea is working and selling well or this idea is something that we should do more. Um, so in doing that, we're able to kind of make sure that the products we're putting a lot of time and money into are things that are actually going to sell well for us. Cool. How many how many um, products do you guys manufacture a year? I'm sorry, per year. Yeah. Oh, geez. Uh, I couldn't necessarily even tell you. And also, we're in a stage where we're growing so much that this past year was a big market from the year before. Um, I would guess maybe. 500 probably in the second half of last year. So that's a okay, complete cool. guess, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, now, this, you also touched on this a little bit. Um, I'm going to ask you to sort of expand on it. You know, what what kind of culture exists in your organization? How do you sort of promote that um, through your brand? So it's, it's really just Jake and I who are working on the brand at the moment. So between the two of us, I would say that the culture is just knowing that what we're trying to do takes a lot of persistence and a lot of hard work because it is a passion project. It's not a business that we really like kind of identified the perfect market with the perfect product and the perfect price point. Really, we just really like to make cool products and we saw an opening in the market and we thought it might work. Um, but we don't have a ton of money backing us and we don't have a ton of connections in the industry necessarily. So between the two of us, I would say the culture of just, just hard work and perseverance. Um, I will say that down the road, I think the culture will be a lot more of like a, kind of like a modern and fun and just like a lively experience to work there. Um, for instance, like we walk into our shop half the time, we're playing some sort of like hip hop instrumental music. We're designing in the back. Bob's got some plants and a good lighting. Kind of like that environment to come into our store. Um, as far as culture, it's, it's pretty small at the moment, so it's hard to really comment too thoroughly on. Cool. What, uh, what has been the hardest part about starting a business? I think the hardest part is managing uh, money, obviously, is a big thing, and also time. Time meaning both personal time, like free time in your own personal life, but also prioritizing your tasks that have to do with phonetics. So 
you have, say, five projects you need to get done. You have to prioritize which one's the most important, which one's going to be the best return on your time investment in terms of money or building leads or whatever. Um, but I think, generally speaking, just, just time and money are the two hardest parts to manage in the business because you always have to be aware of how you're spending both of those. Cool. Um, what is your greatest fear and how, how do you manage it? I think the greatest fear is probably what everyone's greatest fear would be in this. I think that's just uh, just failing, you know, putting in all this time and money and effort and it just never paying off. I think that's got to be everyone's greatest fear that's starting their own business. Um, in terms of managing it, I find myself reading a lot of interviews and biographies and even listening to a lot of like a lot of like hip hop music of people who have started from a, a low place and risen up and been able to build something great for themselves. And I think a common theme that I always kind of see or, or recognize is that people who are successful often have to go through a lot of hard work and trial and error, and it doesn't always happen overnight. Very rarely is something lucky enough to just just work the first time. Um, I think I think just perseverance is huge, and I think everyone's always afraid of failing. And so just to be afraid of it, I don't think it's enough to really make me want to quit. I think I'm able to persevere because I recognize that people that have been successful have kind of felt the same thing, so I felt too. That's awesome. How long have you guys, has this been your full-time job, and how long has it been? So you actually both have uh, side jobs still. I do 20 hours a week of web design and kind of uh, like content creation for a skiing retail website. Um, but I took that, I made that a part-time job for a full-time job maybe a year and a half ago. So I've been doing Hermetic probably like 40 hours a week for about a year and a half while doing 20 hours a week on the side. And uh, I think probably by the end of this year, I'll be able to be full-time on Hermetic. That's awesome. It's always a big yeah. step when you can do that. Yeah, it's huge. And it's Again, a great it's feeling. And, sorry, what's that? I was just saying, it's, it's a great feeling when you can finally make that transition. Yeah, for sure. Just when you can own all of your own time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, what, what are some of the biggest mistakes you guys have made with the business? Biggest mistakes? You know, again, so our background isn't in fashion, it's not in retailing, it's not in selling products, it's in designing. So it's hard to really say that we've made mistakes. We definitely have had some missteps, but I think we learn from everything well enough that it's kind of uh, inevitable that we would make these missteps just, just growing the brand. Um, I think the most specific one I can give you is just managing cash flow and just making sure that the money that we're owed from certain accounts comes in at the right time, making sure it's enough money for rent, like a month out in advance, um, making sure that the product that we're selling, we're reserving enough money on the side to really order that product. Um, so again, I don't, I don't know if we've really made a lot of mistakes that we haven't been able to recover from well, uh, but I think as long as we're learning from what we're doing and making sure that every time we do make a mistake, we're taking note of, of how and why it happened, how we can prevent it in the future. Uh, I think that's really our goal there. That's good. 
Um, what advice would you give to someone that wanted to start a business um, in the apparel slash action sports industry? I would say get ready for some hard work. Um, again, it's, it's really rare that somebody just has an idea and gets lucky enough that it just works the first time. Um, there's a ton of struggle involved in terms of just, just late nights and worrying about whether you have enough money to pay rent next month and worrying if the project put a bunch of time developing that's going to sell to anybody. Um, you know, I think it's just, just be ready for a lot of hard work. I don't think... I think there's a lot of people that start a business and don't realize how much it takes to actually make out of financial feasibility. Um, it's not right. just selling a t-shirt and doubling your money. It's it's talking to new stores. It's getting new customers. It's planning the next line six months ahead of time. It's, there's so much more involved than just something simple like screen printing a t-shirt and selling it for twice your money. Yeah, no, I totally get that. Um yep. Where do you guys see your business in the next year, next five years, next ten years? So I think in the next year, our biggest goal is really marketing. I think it's just broadening our audience, just getting more people to recognize and see the brand. Because um, right now our biggest challenge is definitely, it's not necessarily selling people who have seen the brand, it's just getting more people to see it. What would you say, you know, in five to ten years, will you guys still be focusing mostly on packs and duffels, or do you guys plan on getting into other products as well? Yeah, I think in the next I think in the next five years, we'll probably end up evening out a little bit more and doing equal parts, very good, and equal part apparel and lifestyle accessories. Um, when we opened our shop in Burlington last fall, we started selling some clothing in terms of T-shirts and like five-panel hats. And the sales of that stuff has been really good for us. And I think it just goes back to people want to be able to find a good quality American-made garment and there aren't a ton of options out there for kind of like a useful hip style. So I think in the next five years, we'll probably expand to be equal parts, um, luggage and carry goods, as well as apparel. And then in 10 years, I think our, our real goal is to um, open more stores of ourselves and have our own flagship stores in more cities than just Burlington. But um, again, that's that's kind of like the master plan, and you know, things always tend to change, and depending on what the market yeah. wants, what we'll do. But that's kind of our master plan at the moment. Cool. Um, last question: uh, What's the best part about running Hemetic? The best part about running Hemetic is just being able to determine what you do with your time. Maybe the, you're your own boss, so you're able to say. I'm going to wake up at 10 today and I'm going to work until midnight, you know, and there's nobody to say you can't do that. And I think just owning your own time is huge. Um, I remember when I was still working 40 hours a week, one of the big reasons why I decided to pull back is I did the math and I was thinking to myself, you know, knowing vacation time, if you're going to work five days a week and you get two days a week off, essentially five-sevenths of your time is not yours. And to me, like that once, I just just sat in my head so long that I just had to make a move, and I had to kind of reach out and really go for the semantic things to try to make it work. Um, and I'm glad I did. It's definitely a lot of hard work, but being able to own your own time is, is a really good feeling. That it is. That it is. That's that's an awesome answer. Hey, Ready Eddie Podcast listeners, we are running a podcast review and subscription giveaway. 
If we break 50 reviews by August 23rd, we will send everyone that left a review a couple of Ready Yeti stickers. We will also be giving away a Ready Yeti t-shirt and a hat to two of our favorite reviews. All you have to do is log on to iTunes and leave us an honest review. Reviews really help us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Yeti Podcast. I'll catch you guys next week.